Welcome to Inside Dance, a podcast that celebrates the Bates Dance Festival dance community. I'm your host, Lindsay LaPointe. Dee Sabela Grimes is a choreographer, writer, composer, and educator whose interdisciplinary performance work and pedagogical approach reveal a vested interest in the physical and metaphysical efficacy of Afro-diasporic cultural practices. Sabela was one of the co-writers of Roman Jewels with Rennie Harris Pure Movement. The interview you're about to hear was recorded in 2013 when he was at the festival teaching at the Young Dancers Workshop. Peace, I'm Sabela Grimes. I'm here at the Bates Young Dancers Workshop. Fundamentals is a movement system that I began to uh, play with like in the late 90s. Um, and it kind of grew out of my, uh, my early travels with uh, Rennie Harris Pure Movement. And I was the person, with, well, people that were in the company before me knew that the new kids on the block, when we, when we would travel, they could push the master classes on them so they could stay home and rest. So doing some of the master classes and teaching some of those classes and coming across people internationally that were being introduced to black dance practices in, in a way that was foreign to me was pretty much the inception or the trigger for me to go, oh, well, maybe I should develop a movement system for people to understand the variety of vocabulary, the regionality, the nuances, the feeling tones, the colors, the textures, um, the mentality, the states of consciousness, uh, uh, technique, like really understanding that there's a technique, but uh, learning this technique or these techniques don't happen in the context of a studio. And um, I'm even challenging that it can even happen in the studio. So even to this day, I'm looking at Funkamentals going, how do I do this? Like, how do you teach these social dance practices in a studio environment? And primarily because there was this, um, there's been a current or a flow of teaching hip hop dance um, in a way that you would go in and learn X amount of eight counts um, to a specific song, um, oftentimes very lyrical. Uh, uh, so you'd be dancing to the words and making it out to call me, you know, and that sort of thing, which is cool. Um, but the big question for me was like, how do you then go to a social event and incorporate these ideas if this is where hip hop comes from? So I began to just, you know, do some observation and look at how we move and think about you know, and, and really, to be honest with you, really tap into the community, the street dance community. Um, and so these are people that identify themselves as dancers, and then the larger community of people that love to dance. Uh, so that was late 90s, and I really began to hone this movement system when I began teaching um, longer periods of time. So I did a workshop in Philadelphia for about three weeks and it gave me the opportunity to see if there's going to be any results that we just kind of take it, um, codify it, 
try these codes as opposed to going to do a master class in London that you're only there for an hour and a half or three hours. Um, and then I really began to get a chance to flesh it out when I started teaching at UCLA. So then I have a 10 week period to really have a group of dancers that come from different backgrounds, um, different movement systems, different technique and training in their bodies and find out can they tap into this idea of fundamentals. So funk being a state of being um, in regards to, I mean fundamentals, this term has, is, it like it precedes me. But I'm inscribing it with meaning saying funk is a state of being, so how do we tap into this idea of what funky is, what groove is, what swag is, like there's all these ideas that really aren't something you can just put on. Um, it's really a state of consciousness, a state of being, in a moment, it's temporal, it could mean something one day, it could mean something else, it could resonate in a similar way but not necessarily the same way. And then having a mentality about approaching black dance practices. And so part of that mentality is to, to celebrate and honor the people in these communities, the uncelebrated um, names and voices and bodies that contributed to these dance practices. Um, and to also celebrate African culture and to, to just take note that these dance practices come from a very specific socio-historical context and to also think about the lineage of black dance practices. So, for example, now we're doing like the kid in play and one student's like, oh my God, this is like the Charleston. It's like, exactly. So the swing era dances are connected to the hip hop era dances because these ideas are transferred and transmitted in our communities um, across generations. Um, and I think another characteristic of fundamentals is community building. So instead of going to a, a studio, I'm not to say it doesn't happen in studios, but it's, it's facilitated in a way that we hold each other accountable for learning. And so an example would be, instead of me coming in as Joe person of knowledge and saying, oh, I'm going to give you knowledge and I'm going to dispense this knowledge upon you and then you'll go out into the world, we always start in a circle. Circle breaks down this hierarchy. I'm very clear about facilitating this practice, just like if I was driving the car, if you want to say, hey, let's take a left, that's cool, but I still got my hands on the steering wheel. And um, just approaching that way and saying, hey, let's trust. So there's a thing I say, trust the cipher. And um, assuming that anyone that comes, even if they've never done hip hop before, has um, embodied intelligence that probably is beyond their, their um, ability to articulate verbally and just bringing people, bringing that to people's consciousness, even if they're not even a dancer, they don't consider themselves dancers, and saying that when we come to this place, let's just make this assumption and then operate and be in that. And um, then just, you know, to, to open up um, dialogue about how we access the cipher, how we access the circle. It's just like so many things. There's some, this movement system incorporates so many ideas, practical and theoretical ideas, that circulate in communities outside of academia, for example. Uh, and so there's a different canon that we go to. Um, and what's nice about being in institutions like UCLA is that we, I have the opportunity to kind of remind those people that, that you know, have a, a sense of power and privilege to go, listen, I could practice African-based movement systems for 40, 50, 60, 70 lifetimes 
and never touch a Western form and be okay. You know, I think sometimes people need this reminder. Um, and this happens, you know, and I, and I get it. Like, you go to certain schools, certain ideas are privileged. And so Fundamentals is also an offering for people that are maybe thinking, hey, I've done these Western forms. If I'm really interested in this, there's this. I'm going back to, touch, to accessing the cipher, so this all connects. Um, but I'm interested in these other forms, but um, I have my own internal dialogue about how do I access these forms without being an appropriator, right? Which is like usually a term that you know, people like to talk about. Like, so how do I do this with some sense of, you know, for, for my own sense of integrity um, in regards to borrowing or playing with these ideas? And so fundamentals kind of sets up a context to do that. So the idea is transferable skills. Actually, we're going to do something uh, tomorrow with, with uh, one of the students. Where I'm like, yo, so what, what's, your, what's, what's at the center of your joy jelly? Like, when you go to the center of your joy jelly, what movement system, what style? She's like, contemporary. I was like, cool. Let's see if there's anything transferable from what we've done in two and a half weeks that you can incorporate in that um, and be honest about it and be sincere in your body and, and, and feel it in a way. And so it's like, it's so freaking gorgeous. So we're going to share that tomorrow. But um, accessing the ciphers, we have very clear dialogue about gender, race, sexuality, um, et cetera. Because these things happened as these dance forms were being formalized. So if you have uh, movement systems like Vogue, whacking, punking, um, house in particular, where you have dialogue between a variety of communities, of Afro-diaspora communities, um, uh, heterosexual, homosexual, or queer communities being in this, these clubs and exchanging ideas um, directly and probably more oftentimes indirectly, but there's just like this sort of sharing that happens because you are in this place and the music plays a part, um, uh, a feeling of being marginalized plays a part in that. And so I think it's important that when we when we take on hip hop dances or black dance practices, we think about those things as well. And final note is um, multi-generational idea sharing. So we always do like soul line dances. Like line dances are so important for community building and it gives students an opportunity to see how we practice certain ideas. So to have just like a certain like a step and the way you move the body. Well, I saw my parents do that or I've seen my aunties and grandparents or sisters so on. So, you know, move a certain way and I kind of took that in and my children do this. And so it's a way that these exchange and then the repetition of it is like being in the studio, doing bar work, with, but it happens in the community social setting. And so because people always, you know, it kind of challenges the idea that all black people can dance. And it also challenges the idea that you can only learn technique in the studio. And I'm saying that we, we actually practice and there's this system of repetition um, that's important and uh, is, is very pleasurable, uh, which I think is really interesting, and which is a challenge for me to kind of bring this sort of pleasure field into, into a studio environment or into an institution. And uh, so last note is to kind of just talk about, this is like my third last note. Um, 
to uh, think about how this movement system operates within the pole of ratchetness and righteousness, within uh, secular and sacred, um, and all the varying points in between of how these ideas uh, come into like moving certain regions of your body, uh, finding pleasure in that, responding to music that is like, there's a call and response, and it's like literally telling you to shake your booty or hey big girl, you know, back that thing up or do whatever, whatever, and like really understanding what's going on and, and giving people the opportunity to understand it's not always literal um, and to get, a, get an insight on how sometimes we come to these practices and we're very culturally illiterate. And so it gives people an, uh, uh, just a, hopefully a glimpse into you know, Afro-diasporic expressive culture and the many layers and, 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 and the corrugated space of, spaces of these ideas. <laughs> a lot of times, people that aren't familiar with approaching learning black dances this way, there's like this resistance because they're so ready to learn something. And we're in foundations dance and we're going over these isolations song after song, day after class after class, and they're like, oh my god, I just want to just give me at least one eight count, right, so I feel like I'm ex uh, accomplishing something. Um, so in that resistance, you know, sometimes they'll have conversation with each other, and then they'll begin to appreciate it, and then we start doing this, the soul line dances, and then there's these, these things I have called trading eights, uh, partnering things like with our cha-chas, touching each other, so over the process, people begin to get, become more familiar with them, with each other. And then in that, we're having dialogues at the beginning and, and end of each class, you know, as we, as I say, cipher up. Um, with, with my university classes, I have an online cipher. So instead of like using a lot of time to try and keep recontextualizing this dance practice, I'll give them readings and then they have their online discussion. So they cipher with each other. And that's usually the, the best way for me to kind of throw something out there. I'll give you an example. Last quarter, I gave them Go White Girl. Um, Melissa, uh, forgive me, Melissa, I can't remember who wrote it. Uh, Melissa something or other. And she talks about booty shaking, white women and booty shaking. So this was part of their reading. And uh, so well, the discussion was like, some, some of the participants were like really offended by the writing. And so what's nice about it is I can continue to facilitate the experience and it's not me. I didn't say that. So I can distance myself from, from it in a way that I can then kind of come in. So they'll come in to the next class and go, whoa, I like to shake my booty and it has nothing to do with me being a white woman or whatever, whatever. And then we begin to unpack what that is about how black women in this, in this country or historically have been identified as hypersexual and, you know, how these I move in our body in certain ways go against Puritan values, yada, yada, yada. And then when they have these dialogues, they begin to open up a bit more and it just becomes richer and richer each cipher. Some ciphers I've had have gone so deep uh, and they stay, they stay in the cipher. Like 
people just honor and respect people and it's you don't hear people discussing it two years later that weren't a part of that cipher and I don't know what that is but something happens in that amount of time that people develop a bond I mean I say trust the cipher trust the cipher over and over even when they have to go in and freestyle because that's kind of challenging as well but you begin to trust people the more you go in there and they're like clapping for you or you fall or you fall on your butt whatever it there's just something about that process the cipher in the fundamental movement experience is a place where you know bodies make this geometrical shape right a circle um, and the the, the term growth kind of came out of the five percent nation and, and, and the cipher usually or to cipher is a place without going into another long soliloquy and monologue about it is, is a place where where ideas are exchanged it's also a place that you can physically look into and <clears throat> see a field of infinite potential and so in fundamentals this field that you're that you're looking out into really is a reflection of you looking in here because a lot of these all of these dance practices start in here and so the cipher is in here but you're looking out so you have this three-dimensional four-dimensional fifth-dimensional field of potential and you're kind of going oh okay so I can move into or move toward the center of the cipher this circle and there's several things that are that are going to come to play I am going to enter dialogue with the people around me um, this discourse could be friendly and it could be not so friendly and this is a type of correspondence that happens in the cipher so sometimes you step into the circle and someone grits on you because they're like what are you doing And so this is discourse and this discourse often creates a tension that helps dancers grow in street dance communities and it also you develop a sensitivity a whole body listening and awareness this and, and and there's this call and response that happens so this multiple levels of discourse that happen in the cipher that's why the cipher is so important we practice whole body listening extrasensory listening like you're paying attention to the music you are connecting with the music in a particular way you're connected to the moment so um, connecting to the moment an example of being disconnected and for the cipher meaning the bodies that make up the circle can t tell that you're disconnected is if you go in there and do like a combination like a pre-thought out combination totally irrespective you know to what the music was happening in the music who just came out of the cipher are you going to have a response to to what they might have brought to the cipher and what's still resonating in this field of potential or it's just about oh, I'm just gonna go in there and just do this combo that I've been practicing and then I'm just gonna go out oh my god and and there's this feeling that when you do that you come out of the cipher and the cipher is like Shh. Like it really, really in these dance communities that people are engaged in a particular way um, with these cultural sensibilities. Uh, the cipher is also a space for us to construct and deconstruct our identity. Um, it's a it's a play space for for movers to take on character personality that might not be necessarily affiliated to who they are as a person or their way of being outside of the cipher. Uh, so we talked a little bit about this yesterday actually. 
about what it means to kind of just morph into like this state of consciousness where you're just like ah and you're a monster and or you're you know flowing like water or you're becoming water and you're thinking about what that is and not just water in general water moving over rocks and like what is that and just taking on these sort of ideas and seeing how they fit in your body or something that's um, loose oh you know we talked about yesterday about masculinity so with bulletproof deli we embody ideas or perform ideas of masculinity that are reinforced in these street dance practices. Um, that when someone might do like just straight up true school hip hop, there's a certain bravado about it and there's a certain way of carrying your, a certain charge that feels powerful, that at the same time feels cool or has an aesthetic of coolness, um, that has an aesthetic of inviting and yet pushing you away like these ideas but you're holding your body a certain way. And then how ideas, uh, so-called pedestrian or gestural ideas that, that you take note of in your community come into that. So if it's like locking it and you do like a hand slap where you see this sort of exchange in your community and this comes into the dance form. Or if um, there's a part where you freeze and you tee up like in the, the way you know, black men in, in Southern California do, there's a certain way of holding your body um, and then to have your body, to hold your body a certain way and then to release that into what some consider more feminine and then how you hold your wrist, how you hold your spine, all of these different things and how you can watch street dancers go from maybe something in house and you see a mix of these ideas. You see a certain posture of the body then loosen up because of the exchange that happened in these cultural contexts, these social contexts, and how delicious that must feel. And these are the ideas that I bring into Bulletproof Deli. How delicious that feels to be able to break this for a moment, this performance of masculinity um, that is, you know, is very important for a lot of men. Um, and, and to also think about the, the discourse that happens in our communities about how dangerous it is to be black and male and to not hold these codes and protect yourself with these ideas. So these are the ideas that I'm playing with in Bulletproof Deli, like how vulnerable you might feel as soon as you begin to soften your posture or change the gait of your walk. Um, walking to certain communities, you could be targeted. Or, I mean, there's just, there's just so many ideas we can't get into Bulletproof Deli. But I, this is from observation about how these ideas enter hip-hop dance practices or black vernacular dance practices and the certain fluidity at times and the certain rigidness of how these ideas transform form to form. So I lived in North Philly and um, I had the nerve to try and be a vegetarian in um, North Philly without accent, like I literally lived across the street from McDonald's, I lived on Broad and Allegheny. So I lived literally across the street from McDonald's and then uh, another block north going toward Erie, there was like this little, um, what I call a bulletproof deli, but like a bodega type, like a Chinese, you know, even though they weren't Chinese, but like a, uh, what we call a Chinese store. Like, so you walk in, there's no furniture and there's bulletproof glass and you take your order and, um, they used to make this thing called Buddha's Delight for me, which was vegetarian. And so there was just like this, this getting to know each other period 
you know, anyway. So one day I was in this place, it's called Erie Express, um, and two people walked in. One guy was walking out, and one guy was walking in, and they kind of bumped shoulders. And the one guy that was walking out said to his two friends, like, yo, yo, you let, don't, man, you see that faggot? This faggot touched me, man. Next time a faggot touched me, I'd, I'd, rather, I'd rather die than have some faggot touch me. And uh, I thought it was pretty amazing because you're not, you're not going to this particular, you're not going to Erie Express at 1140 whatever at night if you don't live in that community. You're not going to drive from, so these are people that live in the same community. They know each other. They're familiar with each other. So I began to just kind of play with like, well, well what just happened? Did this guy feel threatened that this other guy that's presumably gay, like what, what, how did he feel threatened by that? And so then I began to write a poem. So this is about the process. And the, uh, the, the, the poem at first was called Brotherly Love, which is kind of like, it's kind of cheesy, right? Philadelphia Brotherly Love. Anyway, so um, then I began to write taglines, like after the poem, write taglines, like what is this about? And so is it about blood? Uh, what are bloods? Like this idea of calling a, another black person blood. What's up, blood? Um, and then where I come from, California, to blood is more associated with a gang. So this idea of blood, and then I thought to myself, like, beyond blood, we share air and breath. And so I changed what this person said to the end of Bulletproof Deli. It says, I'm giving it away. Um, not really. Um, Yo, you let this faggot put his lips on me. You know what? Next time, F it, let me die. Um, and so you have this, this one person. So the, the storyline goes basically, this happens. There's this exchange. But they would see each other in this bulletproof deli. Um, and one of them gets shot. And the other one, well, the characters' names are Dat Bull, Dat Bull and Gay Bull. Um, and so Dat Bull gets shot. And Gable, who you learn over the course of this hour, is, is having a moment where he's thinking about his way of being in the world and what matters. Um, does life matter? Uh, and so there's this indication that he gets a checkup. But you have no idea whether he's HIV. So he's playing just like a lot of just like broad tropes and ideas that I'm dealing with, um, just to give you the sense that this person is trying to figure out what his value is. Um, the other character, that boy, in a very similar way. So he begins that, no, I borrow from other songs. So the song that I sang, two of the, I sang two songs in the clip that you all saw, the excerpt, which is one that I wrote. The, I saw a parade of more than men of more than dreams, of more than life itself, I started to sing songs of praise, songs of peace, songs in sacred tongues. I, I've been here. So he's like, like I've been here before. So this is a pattern. So it has not. So you get an indication. That it's not because now I'm identified as homosexual. It's like I've been here. Then there's this church element that comes in, and um, then. The a song that's earlier in the piece is a uh, jazz song where it was, uh, that I kind of flip. 
It's like, yesterday a man killed my brother. Today I killed the man. Tomorrow his brother's gonna have to kill me. What does it all mean? Right? So the other character sings this because he's thinking about, oh my God, I'm caught in this other type of cycle. So representations of the hypermasculine and the not so hypermasculine black male. And then just kind of complicating with these other ideas. So long story short, one guy gets shot because he's got this vendetta because someone killed his brother. And so he's trying to uphold these other ideas of the streets. And this other person decides that I am valuable because I am breathing and I can share my breath with this person. And in this moment, I can, I can reaffirm what life is. And he shares his, um, you know, perform CPR. And, and that's it. That's, that's all I'm going to give you. Um, and so the how is that I then the soundtrack probably took me the longest because I took a period of time where I sampled voice messages, um, going to Erie Express and just getting sounds from that place and, and, and um, bringing that into it. Um, in 2006, I was a bit YouTube crazy. Um, and there was this one woman, like one of the, I loved being able to see the people that just kind of took to that, this sort of way of expressing themselves. Um, and there's this one woman that was based in England, and so she was getting this commentary from people about things that she would post on her blog. And she just has like this six things. Well, if you wrote this in the comment section, you're gay. If you wrote this in the comment section, kill yourself. If you wrote this in the comment, and so she has the thing, so I sample her voice, and so you hear her say, well, if you say X, Y, and Z, you're gay. And so you'll see me do this movement piece on this block, kind of setting this terrain and moving across the landscape. So it's like, it's, it's so many different layers and things going on. So the music probably took the most amount of time really composing that. Um, the text was written for the most part. That was the first thing that was written. And then choreographing what I was doing with the body and really giving that space to articulate what the text and the movement could, cannot, I feel, um, or at least to complement that, was um, I had a chance to do while I was doing my MFA at UCLA, so that was nice, like space and time, woo, to really just mess with the body. And I think that's where I had a breakthrough. Um, I worked with Ozzy Jones, who also um, actually is a graduate of Bates, and uh, was the dramaturg and one of the principal characters in Roman Jewels, so I, and uh, who I started doing theater with in Philly. And I remember we were having a showing, and I was playing the um, gay character in a way that wasn't quote unquote so gay. And he really challenged me in a way that I was basically articulating with him, well, well I don't want to be stereotypical. Um, and he was like, well, no, you're just not taking it on. And so I didn't have to investigate what that, what that process is like. And to really find out what it means to embody ideas of queerness, of and what that means, kind of looking at, you know, maleness, masculinity, and manhood, and to just really play with those ideas. So in regards to movement ideas and material, I spent the most time just feeling that in my body and taking time to be honest about that there's, there's a lot of that that's already in there. 
that I usually just don't access for particular reasons. And so what's it like to think about that and process that, th those choices, and then bring them into the work? The last couple of weeks has been very refreshing. Um, because the students here in the program are in a season of life that a lot of these dance forms were created by people that were in this season of life. And so that has a certain charge, right? And so it reminds me what it was like to be that age and kind of feel that charge because I feel a bit distant, like this, I'm in a different season of life and I have these dances in my body in a different way and I'm exploring them in a different way. Um, so I would, I've been challenging them to, to, to hopefully find things that are valuable, that they think are valuable, not just what I think I'm, I would like to share and I would love for them to take home. But I have mentioned that, like I said before, that I hope there are some transferable ideas and or skills or approaches to dancing, dance making, and participating in, in a group environment that they take that away. Um, uh, you know, and we've also had the opportunity to explore, you know, just real talk, what it's like to take on ideas of blackness. So this has kind of come up in class with uh, uh, non-African descent participants saying, oh, let's do something really ghetto. And for me having the opportunity to say, hey, what does that mean to you? Um, and then to kind of open that dialogue, which has been, yeah, that was it, was, it was a little challenging. But the beauty of fundamentals and having a cipher and building the community is that sometimes there is discomfort in this sort of dialogue, but there was like a trust that allowed us to have a bit of a breakthrough and so to have a moment like that is, is, is really important because the way certain ideas about hip hop are, are uh, transferred and consumed are ways that, you know, I'm definitely going to continue to challenge as long as I'm alive and in this earth suit and, you know, halfway, you know, honest with myself. And so to, to get a chance to have this just kind of come up and then to explore what that means within, you know, the, the, um, the just processing the movement system itself and seeing how it fits with what's going on with fundamentals, it's, it's an invaluable, invaluable moment. And, and, and also the process that I've, I've done with one of the students is is it's just that opportunity to go oh you know to kind of break down the partitions between these movement ideas and in and in, in, in their heads to continue to partition dances as this is modern this is high this is low culture this is you know real this is not so real this is just for fun oh i'm so serious now um this is strict this isn't so strict this is tangible I feel very distant from this, but I have to do it because it's very important to my parents or, you know, all of these different things, or I'll never get into college, yada, yada, yada. Um, one thing I came, uh, I came away with and I learned was 
what's really amazing about students in this season of life is a certain naive way that they'll just share information with you. So there's the ghetto thing, and then we're having this conversation, and then it gets to a point that I'm saying, listen, we're having fun. Don't get it twisted. I'm grown. Some of you guys are talking to me, and they're really just getting like, you know. So it's like, oh, I have to put up a boundary, and so I have to check myself like, oh, so you've crossed the line, and so let me say, pull back, whatever, whatever. And so one of the students says, hey, you know, I kind of, I want to apologize because I just was really frustrated. So, so I was like, cool, no worries, no need to apologize. And we get into this conversation where, in essence, she shares with me that she has this thing about being really, really pale, right? And it was part of the reason she began to dance hip-hop, right? And so, you know, I interpreted part of what she was saying is that I can, I can feel a bit browner. I can, like there's something in my body, I don't feel as pale when I do these dance practices. And I was like, wow, can't say I've ever heard that one before, right? So I'm going to chew on that for a little bit. I'm definitely going to take that away and process that and figure out what that, what that means because my way of being in the world isn't, you know, pale and I don't know what that's like. And I don't know. I thought that was pretty interesting. I, I'm definitely not articulating it the way she did. That was so beautiful and a bit poetic and just so honest and sincere. Um, yeah. Yeah. Nice moment. Nice moment in fundamental movement experience history. I studied English at UCLA for undergrad, and uh, I'll never forget I had this professor that gave this assignment about doing a comparative study with one of his sonnets and some other form of American text or whatever. And so I brought in the text that I thought was valuable and I wanted to do a comparative study. Now, I want to say it was maybe um, one of Nas's songs from Illmatic, and this professor thought it was the craziest thing ever. This guy, oh my gosh, have you ever had like that person that tries their hardest to make you feel like that choice was the dumbest choice? How could you ever, ever imagine that rap business being in the same space as this sacred cow? And I was thinking to myself, oh, Shakespeare was a wordsmith. Like, what are you doing teaching here? If you don't get that this dude was playing with language, playing with delivering it orally, and like, like was connect, like you don't see that this guy is like an MC? Like really connected, like listening to his audience and writing, playing with words, bringing in certain ideas of metaphor. Wow, did he discourage me? Absolutely not. I got a chance to channel that energy into, oh my gosh, when we have the opportunity to really talk about Roman jewels, there's so much venom in some of the things that I wrote for my character. Oh, it was so beautiful. <sighs> like these binaries, we, we hold to these binaries, right, in these social systems that we operate in, in this matrix, in particular in America, right? Um, and so just observing, I kind of take the approach that it's like a thermometer. Um, 
or like a, literally like a pole. So we have this idea of polarity. And it's like, where is hot? When does hot become hot and when does cold become cold? There's just this, these degrees on the thermometer and then each individual kind of goes, oh my God, it's really, oh shit, it's 90 degrees, so hot. And someone's going, really don't. So I see it that way, but I also have this experience of operating with, you know, people that I'm relating to every day in different spaces and places and just observing that. Um, and just kind of speaking to that and thinking of what, what ideas of hybridity come from these sort of, you know, these, these, these binaries. So what are our constructs of hybridity, right? So you're talking about a person that grew up. It's so funny, we were, I was talking to some, uh, another group of people, all people of color, and we're, we're talking about, in particular, how, in this case, what black is, right? So there was a period of time that in my life that I remember being the blackest thing, and, and the blackest thing in the room, like literally thing in the room the blackest thing in the room also being synonymous with the ugliest and or you know the sense of otherness that comes from particular perspectives on on race and um, then in regards to, to gender what it means for that ugly to be very threatening as a, as a black male and now I have two sons who I'm seeing deal with the same issues that I dealt with. And then they're in a bit more of a mixed community, but it's like, oh, this, this particular teacher is afraid of you because you're black and male. I'm reading it like this. I hope it's not the truth, but I'm reading this as this really isn't about two plus two. This really isn't about you not turning in your freaking notebook. So, you know, kind of reflecting on these experiences, then moving into a community where I'm then light-skinned and what that means in regards to how things operate in the American matrix or to then be with someone that's from another place in the diaspora where it's just not like that or living in South Africa and where the system is set up differently. So I'm constantly just kind of playing with these ideas. Um, and I don't know about my role. If someone just asked me that, like I really don't think about creating, like having, holding a role, and maybe that's a fear of mine, um, to then take on, like identify myself as artist and having a role, it seems very fixed to me. Um, but I do know that it's important for me to create work that exposes what I'm questioning and that offers the participant observer to, or invites, them to, to question it a bit as well. And there are, there are particular things that I'm saying in my work that I, I'm directing toward the Afro-diasporic, African-American community in particular. I'm saying, hey. Or to black men in particular, I'm saying, hey. Um, or, you know, I grew up Christian, you know, Baptist, saying, uh, let's talk about these things. So this, this is why this, like all these layers in the work and because I kind of feel like my life is complicated like that. 
and that my way of being in the world is complicated like that. And just being blessed to have traveled, you know, this earth suit and the way I'm identified isn't fixed. You know, I've been places, like I said, that, you know, like trip after trip, people are pulling me, especially around 9-11. Um, you know, they're checking my bag or being at McDonald's in Manchester, England, and someone going, oh my God, you look just like Osama bin Laden. Or, you know, or carrying a certain fluidity between communities where someone perceives you as maybe being Cuban or Brazilian and they respond to you in a certain like really observing these things. And not, so this isn't necessarily negative. They're like, oh my God, you know, or, you know, all of these different things. It's just so, so much to play with. So many ideas to, to just kind of poke. Um, yeah, to poke at, yeah. I think I, I have to give some honor and respect to other people that I've worked with that, I, that I've kind of incorporated their ideas. Um, Echo and Coma, uh, working with them, I, I had a chance to really be exposed to some other ideas of community building and looking at moving in our bodies. Uh, Guillermo Gomez-Pena, who I've you know, spent a, a quarter with, which was a very fantastic voyage. Um, and more importantly, it was nice to be in a position to have to trust this group of people because, you know, he definitely has some interesting ways of facilitating and pulling things out of people. And, you know, his whole thing is border crossing and crossing your own personal borders and boundaries. And so when you have 10 weeks and it's just closed off, three hours straight, several times a week, it's a lot, great opportunity to take some things away. So those are, you know, two people that I can think of, or, or three people that I can think of that I, there are some things that I borrow from working with. The festival director is Shoshona Courier. The director of training programs is Ali James. Sound recording and editing by me, Lindsay LaPointe. For more information about the festival, visit BatesDanceFestival.org. <laughs>